Summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil your beach bod? You're in luck. Our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth generation performance package, which includes the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Complement your summer bod with a trim from the leaders in male grooming. The sun is shining and calling your name, fellas. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code Managing Madrid. Hey, Chris, who do you think Manscaped this week? Well, I think that Casemiro almost certainly manscaped. And I think the Chilean, def- Chilean midfield who tried to grab a hold of him, tried to keep him, keep him from escaping their press will uh, attest that he was a slippery character on Friday. And, uh, and that was all thanks to his trusty manscaped kit. Well, guys, I can tell you uh, who didn't manscape. And uh, this individual does not have the uh, hot summer bod ready to go just because he hasn't been manscaping. He hasn't been using the, the new fourth generation tools, the lawnmower 4.0, which is he hasn't pulled it out yet. And that is uh, Eden Hazard. He, he didn't make it fit for, for the quarterfinal round against Italy. And that's for one simple reason. He, he hasn't used his lawnmower 4.0. Listeners get 20% off and free shipping with the code managing Madrid at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code managing Madrid at manscaped.com. Escape the shrubs and weeds this summer and shine with Manscaped. This episode is also brought to you by the Live Managing Madrid Podcast World Tour, which starts in September in Los Angeles, the weekend of September 25th, and then in Toronto, the weekend of October 23rd, and then in Dallas, the weekend of November 20th, and then in New York City. That's a new one. I don't know if you guys have heard of that one yet officially. Uh, The weekend of December 4th, we're going to be in New York. So by the way, the New York one, that is our biggest podcast demographic. That one is going to fly really quick. So I would urge you to buy your tickets now because for two reasons. One, it's because it's early bird. And second of all, um, because that pub, the pub we're going to play our Irish pub, it's pretty big, but I don't know, like at some point we're going to have to cap that one because of whether it be COVID restrictions. I don't know what it's going to look like in December, but also even if there is no restrictions, it's just, it's going to be tight. We have to cap it at some point. So I would urge you to don't waste time, buy the early bird tickets ASAP. The links are in the show notes. If you're in New York or any surrounding areas, make sure you reserve your spot. Um, And I also want to just put out a call. If you're going to the LA one, and want five free tickets plus some Manscaped stuff and some Managing Madrid swag, and your photographer or videographer, which basically means if you have a really good camera uh, and you just like taking pictures and videos, uh, you will give you five free tickets plus Manscaped stuff plus Managing Madrid swag. So message us. You can email me, Keon, at keonsabani.com or managingmadridadvoxmedia.com or message us. Uh, directly on Patreon or wherever you want to contact us. It's cool. Just let us know, um, and we'll hook you up with free tickets. We just we're looking to document this as well as possible. So um, links are in show notes. Make sure you reserve your spots in those cities, and then we're we'll announce Miami January soon, and then Chicago probably in the springtime because we're gonna go to Chicago, but definitely not going anywhere close to the windy city in the winter time. So yeah. Uh, all right. Today's podcast a lot of fun. Chris, Matt, and I we discuss Copa America and the Euros involving Maradisas, but also a lot of big picture stuff. And then we go pretty deep on some uh, funky topics later in the podcast. So stay tuned. All right. Without further ado, here is the Managing Madrid podcast. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog 
and wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Kareem Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Hello and welcome to a weekend edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. I am your host, Kian Sobani. Today we are doing some recap of Maridisa's on international break and some big picture stuff. And maybe we'll touch on some random Real Madrid news and then we will uh, we'll just kind of see where the podcast takes us. Usually like when we don't have a plan, which is kind of the case today, um, it can go in either direction. It can go for two hours um, or it can go shorter. And we just don't know. It's kind of like this open path that we're just going to walk into and see what happens. So joining me today are Christopher McCormick and Matt Wiltsey. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing? Not too bad. Doing well. Doing well. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see where we where we end up with this podcast. It's like you know, Real Madrid usually don't have lulls. It's very rare. Like even during transfer season, international break, we're kind of used to Real Madrid players dominating these international tournaments in the last last couple really apart from mortgage going pretty deep in 2018 and then this tournament we haven't had much we're we're all out we're all we're done we do have casemiro militao and vinicius holding the fort down in copa america um but you know what why don't we start in reverse chronicle chronological order and talk about uruguay last night so fede valverde played um the 90 minutes uh, and then they don't have extra time in their tournament. So they went straight to penalty shootout and Colombia eliminated Uruguay. So Fede went home last night. Chris, do you feel a little bit better about Fede's role as the tournament progresses? Do you have any issue Not with really, it? Still? No. <laughs> um, I don't know. It was just, I don't know if I just don't like Uruguay anymore or what's happening, but I can't say I've ever I've felt more satisfied with his role as the tournament went on. And I have to, I can't say I felt at an individual level that he really ever got to full form or even kind of 50 percent he just seemed to be a such a passenger in all their games and i think he had it's, it was like a constant challenge at whatever time of night it was generally at which was another thing but we'll get onto that um we'll get onto that in a minute but you know whatever time in the night it was always a kind of challenge of me going is he subbed off or is he still playing because uh, I could never find him. I, I mean, I'm always, I was always on the lookout for fifth. Uh, I think it's sixteen he wears for Uruguay. Because literally, he wasn't he wasn't really contributing to their campaign. But Uruguay in general, just very flat, kind of trundling. <laughs> I describe. Found- They're just not very mobile, um, and quite old. I found it a weird one because um, on one hand, like Fede himself in a vacuum, every, like he does everything pretty well. Like he goes, you know, he in this game, he was dropping deep as the anchor at times during the build up to receive a pass, kind of the way Cruz does dropping between the center backs. And other times he was the guy available between the lines and further advanced positions. And he was playing nice vertical passes and his movement outlet passing in the right half space was all good. I mean, and he um, he basically like when he had the ball. And when he wanted the ball, he'd get it because Colombia just weren't defending at all. And it was weird because this game was so chaotic and it reminded me of Belgium, Italy, but like 
an inferior version, like with less <laughs> yeah, talent on the field. Worse. Like, so worse defense, maybe more chances. It felt like a basketball game just back and forth. Like Zupata just did whatever he wanted. Um, basically dominated Nandez on that, on that right back position. Um, it was just a badly executed game. No defense from either team. A lot of space for both teams. Terrible finishing. Um, I know it sounds like I'm trashing the game, but I actually enjoyed it for those reasons. Yeah. I, for those reasons, I actually really enjoyed it because it was fun to watch. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe if I'm, I, I've watched all but one of their games so far. And I have to say, this was certainly the most entertaining one I've seen. But, you know, when he, I mean, I think half of the reason that was the case was because in comparison to their previous matches, Colombia had a lot of quality on their on their side and had kind of legitimate reason to, to kind of believe that they could beat Uruguay um, at this stage, like, stage of the competition. In the group stages, it was a completely different story. I think the Argentina match was the only one that was kind of semi-entertaining and that was almost a, that was almost completely because Argentina played really, really well. Outside of that, Uruguay kind of pushed teams aside but never, never got out of fourth or fifth gear. Um, just some really, really miserable matches. Like uh, their last game against, I think it was Ecuador they played. They, they literally, I think they won it on the virtue that the Ecuador themselves haven't beaten Uruguay in the Copa America since the 1950s or something, something just horrific like that. Because the performance, at a performance level, anyways, they're just like, I'm, I'm actually kind of lost for words as to tell you what exactly Uruguay are good at at the moment. <laughs> they should be good at finishing, but I mean, Suarez and Cavani haven't really clicked. Um, You'd think there's quality in that midfield, but I can't say that that their midfield is really shine through. And I mean, off the basis of the 45 minutes in this game, their defense kind of leaves a little to be desired. Uh, it was kind of all right in the previous games, but the kind of first quality, the two quality attacks they came up against in this in this tournament were they were kind of they looked dodgy at the back, to say the least. And I don't know if it's if this is just me or if it's the fact that there's no fans in the stadiums, but it just feels like this Copa America has a little less bite. Like usually, you you get that like feistiness and that um, just all the passion in in the Copa America. I feel like it's not there at all in this tournament. And a lot of the games, Chris, you mentioned it. Like a lot of the games have been hard to sit through and actually engage and and watch. And hopefully, the knockout rounds are better. Um, but I don't know. I just feel like there's something, something's been like, and it's probably the COVID congested season on top of everything, but like, it just feels like something's been zapped out of this, yeah. this Copa America. I think, I think the players, I think a lot of the best players in South America have to travel when they play to, when they go to the play a tournament like this. Um, Obviously we talked about in the last podcast that there's been plenty of opposition in terms of actually host having this tournament in brazil and having the tournament in general and then no fans which i personally think in terms of i mean if europe suffered for the lack of fans through the regular season this year south america is twice as bad because i think that's a huge part of the attraction for south america south american football is the fan engagement and fan participation in that side of the game so having none of that even they haven't even bothered kind of putting in a fake crowd noise i, I think i heard some kind of simulated crowd noise in the Columbia game. I'm not 100% sure. It might have been just the benches getting up in arms about stuff. But it was the first time I've heard actually any sort of atmosphere whatsoever. Outside of that, they are dead quiet, very flat games in which generally the better team wins. And, you know, the kind of 
other side huffs and puffs, but uh, generally quality wins out in those tournaments. So yeah, I, I mean, again, it's you won't have to, you really do have to wonder what was exactly gained from hosting this tournament this year while you couldn't have waited another year. I'm glad you guys brought this up. I feel very passionate about this subject. I think, like, I feel like they just need to take a break from this tournament for a little bit. There's no reason to play this, especially this year. I mean, at one point, the commentator said, uh, Uruguay have won this tournament uh, record 15 times. And I'm just like, my brain went numb for a bit. I was like, dude, if any nation wins your tournament 15 times, that means you're playing it way too many times. That's crazy. Just take a break. Shut it down for a little bit. This, I think we need a break from this. Like it's happening almost every year. You have to, you're inviting teams from different continents. We talked about that part of it a little bit. This is, if any year, if, like to take a break, it's this year. Like there's too much travel. South America, and not that I have any sympathy for Barca, but remember like Barca would always be one of the victims, uh, victims of um, the international break because MSN would come back from South America dead tired from all the travel. And their first like game back after the international break was, was usually like their worst one. And so I, I just feel like we're doing this a little bit too much to, you know. And by well, the and way, I, how how has Messi not actually won this tournament yet? <laughs> well, that, that's it's, the it's, thing. How, I don't... Many, how many more cracks are you going to have? I feel like <laughs> if you haven't won this tournament, I don't care if you're playing with Iguain, Maradona, or me and Chris and Matt. you got to <laughs> win this Copa America at least once with all the tries you're having, man. It's crazy. That's what I don't understand. Like historically how often was this kind of, wasn't it every two years or every four years or whatever and every then all of a sudden years, yeah. they just decided it's every year like it, that was that was the crazy thing i was they it totally ruins the the excitement for the copa america and like kind of to your point Kian, like uruguay winning it 15 times yeah it would be cool if it was every four years but now that it's every year like they it, 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 it takes away the value of actually winning it yeah they um i think they, they, I was looking at this because I was curious myself as what exactly was going on, and they seem to have some sort of tournament to mark, kind of a landmark year for the Copa America. So you know, it was the centennial year in 2016. They might, you know, they have anniversaries for the 50th and 25th year, but I mean, I think that doesn't really explain how we've gotten four tour. I think we've gotten three tournaments in four years or five years, which is just absurd. So I, I mean. It seems to me that until Argentina actually win it, we're just going to have Copa Americas. <laughs> it's it's debt by Copa America. That's what it is. I would just love if they finally won it after Messi retired. That would be my favorite time. <laughs> Having said yeah. that, like if all of this comes to Argentina Brazil final this year, I mean, we're all I, I there's no way I'm not watching that. That's going to be awesome to watch, right? And Brazil, at the very least, because of Neymar, are entertaining and because everyone just tries to kick the shit out of him on the opposite team and he provokes everybody and it's always fun to watch. It's not that it can't be watched. It's just like it would be more special, as Matt said, if it was every four years. Another idea is why don't you just like they always have this problem of trying to fill the teams and they couldn't invite teams because of COVID this year or whatever. Um, Why not merge South America and North America and Central America into one big thing? Like this would be fun if imagine if this was every four years and you get rid of the gold cup, whatever the CONCACAF thing does that US wins every year. Canada won it one year. That was pretty cool. But get rid of all of that. Get rid of Copa America. Get rid of gold cup. Merge it. Every four years you have a like it's going to be this epic thing where the US is playing Brazil. Argentina's playing Mexico. That that sounds exciting. I think that they should 
do something, collaborate there. The American World Cup. America's World Cup. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would watch that. I, I agree. I mean, I think it's it would be a good precursor to to the uh, to the World Cup and it'd be something that could compete better in terms of getting viewers with with the euro so anything to make money for these federations right so there you go i mean at the u.s market i feel like would be down for that too i mean yeah, that, yeah. and that's a massive market um all right so oh uh brazil you watched uh casemiro play was it friday night that they played chris yeah against chile yeah uh was, they scraped um, by there so tell us about casemiro's yeah. role in that game Casimir, well, he actually, I think he got his uh, more liberated role than he's been allowed with Brazil recently. I thought it was quite strange that Militao didn't start because he was the kind of, he's been playing quite well. in Yeah, stages. I was surprised by that. Like, I, I thought he was like a starter in this tournament, given everything. But yeah, I guess... and Thiago Silva was calling him a, pil- a future pillar of Real Madrid. Yeah. And then he gets dropped for the kind of, I mean, they they had qualification wrapped up within three games. So, uh like he gets dropped for the first meaningful game <laughs> since yeah. maybe the opening match or so. But yeah, I mean, I thought it was strange that he was dropped. Uh, Casemiro, like I said, is kind of, generally speaking, plays a very disciplined role in this Brazil side as compared to Real Madrid. But he, he, got, to, he got his opportunities to roam, which he likes to do. Uh, there were some kind of strangely nice touches. You know how sometimes Casemiro just has games where he's like, you know what, I'm going to just put it all together. I'm going to start yeah. passing like I'm Shabby Alonso now. Mm-hmm. He had one of those games. He just, he, I remember there was a Chile came on very strong after Brazil went to man down because Gabriel Jesus decided to do, um, what was that? Who was the fellow? I think it was Van Bommel. Yeah, yeah Diong on Xavi Alonso. He decided to do that and got sent off for it. So kind of Chile came on quite strong after that. And Casemiro just started pulling these just fabulous little pivots and stuff to break in space on, on the Chile press and just started whacking out balls out wide he he was a completely different player from (laughs) some of the iterations we've seen at madrid but yeah um, very impressive performance definitely in terms of individual real madrid players that was the best game i've seen a real madrid player play at the cup america so far so this all comes down to brazil peru tomorrow argentina colombia on tuesday then um the final which like for our ratings purposes would hopefully between Argentina and Brazil on Saturday uh, at nine o'clock, which is what time for you, Chris? It's Uh, midnight. I dodged the bullet. Midnight or 1 a.m.? I think it's 1 a.m. 1 a.m. Yeah, I dodged the bullet because Brazil played the first. Uruguay got knocked out, so I missed the 2 a.m. semifinal kickoff, (laughs) which would have been Uh, interesting. All right, so that's something to look forward to at the very least. Um, Let's shift our attention to... Really, Belgium, I mean, is the main talking point. If you guys want to chime in on other Euro stuff, you'll, you're free to do so. Um, for the sake of the Managing Madrid podcast, which is Real Madrid Focus, um, we did not, unfortunately, get Eden Hazard to play against Italy. And obviously, it's probably for the best for us because, you know, you don't want to rush him back or force anything. So um, hopefully he can recover. And Thibaut Courtois, Matt, here's a challenge. Why don't you give us the tactical analysis of only Courtois? <laughs> All right. Um, well, Italy had 14 shots in this game, but only three were on target. Obviously, one of them was the insane uh, Lorenzo Insigne goal. Uh, that was just one of the goals of the tournament for me. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. And uh, 
aside from that, he only had to make two saves. So he didn't have that much work to do, although it felt like Italy were just kind of, especially in the, in the first half, uh, were kind of coming on in, in, in droves and really applying the pressure. They didn't, they didn't put that many shots on target. So Courtois didn't have that much to deal with. Um, but man, I just, this game was fun. Yeah. I love watching Italy, man. I really love watching Italy in this tournament. They've just been, they've just been a joy. And it's such a bummer about Spinazzola. He was, he, for me, he was the player of the tournament and just killing it. And I so enjoyed watching him. And so to see him get that Achilles injury is, it's rough. Apparently uh, that's kind of been his MO over his career is just injury after injury. So that's that's unfortunate, but um, man, it'll be fun to see Italy take on Spain. I, I hope it's it's another open game, um, and I hope I mean just watching this Italy team, the way what I'm what I like most about watching them is when they're on the ball, every player always has at least two options to pass to, and they like create little triangles and diamonds all over the pitch. And when you when you see that and see those patterns consistently, time and time again, it's just it's so fun to watch that. I, I really love what Mancini has done in the last two, three years, however, however long he's been. I think it's three years. Um, it's interesting because, and you, you know, like Spain, Italy will be entertaining. This is the game I'm looking forward to in this tournament the most. And it's mostly because this is not a traditional Spain, Italy game. This is not like, it's going to be open. Like it really is. Like when you look at it, because this is not the same Italian team of years past, of of generations past that sits deeper and goes into a low block. This is why it's fascinating to me. And then, and, and it's it's also going to be fun because actually you saw some of the frailties defensively that they had, and you kind of look at the chances that Belgium missed. Lukaku a little bit off, even though he did everything right, but put the ball in the back and that De Bruyne basically playing on one leg. I mean. It came out after that he's basically was playing through a ripped uh, tendon or something or a ripped ripped something. Bad, bad news. Like it, he he probably shouldn't have even been playing that game. So if he's a little bit healthier and he you know that's probably a different game anyway. So my point is you saw a lot of transition defensive issues for Italy, which in years past that wouldn't have been an issue because they would have sat deeper. And I don't think this is going to be a case where they do sit deeper. To be quite honest, like and this is the thing. If they do that, they're actually pretty good when defending one that when the offense is just a slow, simple buildup. I think Spain are going to have a lot of trouble, uh, trouble finding openings that way. Um, as good as their movement has been in this tournament and they just need to score. But uh, it, there's definitely a lot of room here for our back and forth uh, fiasco where Spain's transition defense struggles, Italy's transition defense struggles. And a lot of just back and forth. If I had to guess, though, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, I think Italy will be a little bit more conservative in this game than they have been in games past. I think they'll go a little bit deeper than than they have been playing so far in this tournament. And I think uh, like the Belgium game was their way of saying, we're not going to change our style of play. But then after the 90 minutes was over, I think they may have considered like, okay, maybe maybe this may not be the best path to to winning a game against Spain. I don't know. I'm very curious to see how this yeah. plays out. I think um, I think the optics now change a huge amount for Italy as well. I mean, they've gone... I mean, I can't... <laughs> it's going to be a humble brag, but I put a little bet on Italy to win it at the start of the tournament. But I think up until now, maybe that wasn't really on their their horizons. Maybe they thought, you know what, if, if things go right, if we get into knockouts, maybe we're in with a chance but they've now arguably turned into the favorites to win the tournament now 
alongside England. So I would imagine that that favourites tag is definitely going to, in terms of form, they're comfortably the favourites as well. So that might very much change how they approach the game. It's no longer a case of, you know, every match in this tournament now is a bonus for us. It's a case of, well, we're 180 minutes away from the final. What do we need to do to ensure that we make those 180 minutes winning 180 minutes? Uh, and yeah, I think it's it's interesting as well because Italy, obviously, for the first, I interesting uh, reading about this was that Italy, from the time that Spain bet them in the Olympics in like 1920 or something crazy like that, they never lost a competitive match to Spain. Then kind of pendulum shifts 08, so 08 to 12. It's I mean even up until recently, it's Spain, Italy. So I mean it's kind of the first. I suppose when you look at it through those lens, it's kind of the first Spain-Italy game where the two sides are capable of beating or losing to each other, which is interesting. Well, yeah, I, it is. And I think um, I think if you look at Italy's body of work and what Mancini's done even pre the Euros, they've been fantastic. Like their qualifying campaign was incredible. They're, they're breaking records left and right. Um, so this is, I think... They came in a dark horse, and now, as you mentioned, Chris, they're they're clear favorites, and just the way they're playing too. It, it, this isn't this isn't the Italy we all grew up with. This is this is a fun attacking Italy, high pressing. Um, so it it'll be interesting. But I wanted to get you guys kind of back on um, the Real Madrid perspective, or at least looking at it with with Belgium. Um, Hazard's replacement, Doku. I thought was just a live wire in this game. Um, just he reminded me of Vinicius, honestly, because he was he was kind of he was he was an X factor. He was unpredictable, but he was a little erratic and like he didn't know what he was going to do. And it, it kind of he kind of got flustered in the final third. Um, maybe you could argue he was a little bit more polished than Vinicius in the final third, but I found them to be very similar. Both like extremely quick off just the first two steps. Like that acceleration is insane. Um, and it, I want like, do you think Belgium were actually better off playing him instead of Hazard, given the form and shape that Hazard's in now? Like, would you have, would, do you think it was a better trade off actually for them to, to have started Deku instead of the current version of, of Hazard? I mean, Hazard's given them much of a choice, to be honest. If he's not injured, then he's not fit, you know? it's it's He's not been in a state where he's actually of, you know, optimal playing level in the last 18 months, two years. So, I mean, yeah, I completely agree. I don't think, I, I think the Doku is probably a better option at the moment to Hazard. I think there's probably, in terms of their depth, there's probably a lot of players that they could opt for over or a selection of players they could opt for over Hazard. But um, yeah, I mean, it just, I think that speaks more to where Eden Hazard's health has been in the last two years and his form has been than uh, necessarily Doku's quality, as good as he is. I definitely kind of hearing that sort of question does make you think, God, Hazard's stock has really dropped yeah. in the last two years. Well, given that, I mean, I didn't really know much about Doku really before that Italy game. Um, yeah. And, you know, when you look at Belgium's left wing options, Thorgan has had a Thor, Thor, Thorgan had a good tournament. Um, the one I'm surprised didn't get more playing time was Carrasco, because I feel like even if you look at a lot of Belgium's issues, he actually helps a lot of them. And, you know, when you're looking at a left wing back position where Carrasco really 
found a home in with Atletico this season. In diff- like there was that stretch where Simeone shifted to that crazy like six six three one formation t- thing where Carrasco was on the left wing back and was playing as a two way basically left winger. Belgium could have used that presence against Italy for sure. So I'm surprised he didn't get there. He didn't, you know, play much there. But I guess Doku is a different kind of player, right? And he's a little bit more attacking minded. I was impressed. I mean, I don't really know have from have much of an opinion on like from if we should sign him or not. I don't know if that's what you asked, Matt, but um No, 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 no. I was just okay. saying, like, do you think he was do you think uh Belgium was better off? Like, even if Hazard was, let's say he survived uh the last game given his form do you think they actually would have been better off just playing to doku especially against this italy team in transition rather than than hazard the current version of hazard but 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 i mean like they got this far in the tournament like so and then they played him against italy what do you mean I just mean like if are you asking like whether they should have started Doku before the Italy game is basically what you're no, asking. No, no, not necessarily. Like going into that game, would you having seen Doku's performance uh-huh. and knowing how Hazard played throughout the tournament, would you still have started Hazard if he was like fit enough to fit enough to right, play? Right, I see. Um, I mean. <sighs> It in with hindsight probably would have started him anyway. I don't know. It's a tough one, but could you could you fit? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you Doku was really good. I I probably I don't know if Eden. I guess the question is becomes if you replace Doku with Eden in this game, would Belgium have won? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I mean the fact that like. To Chris's point, the fact that it's like kind of boggling your mind and you have to think about it is is sad and is a, a point of where Eden Hazard's stock is. But yeah. at the same time, um, like having an option like Doku, it's like having an option like Vinicius. Like if you could have put him on in the last twenty minutes too, if you're chasing a goal, like oh, imagine him running at a tired defense, like it, it's game over. Well, there's always that one, at least one guy from every international tournament who gets, who gets a big contract by the end of it. Um, you know, like Hamas being the poster boy of this whole ideology. Doku hasn't played much, but I feel like that one Italy game put him on the map. So um, he's really Do like he's, think- he. I don't blame myself for not knowing how he is, uh, who he was. He uh, he only has fifteen thousand followers on Twitter. He's he's an unknown. <laughs> so I don't. I feel like he's uh, something he's going to get a big like watch. I don't know. if I haven't checked, but I'm sure if you look now, if you Google his name, probably he's linked to a bunch of big clubs. You think he would? I don't know, though. I feel like his skill set maybe sits. It, it's better utilized in the international game than in club game where let's say he's playing in La Liga where defenses sit so deep. He's not going to have that space to just burn people or get the space to go 1v1 isolated so that's where i feel like maybe he'll he'll struggle if he gets a move to a bigger club like he'd be devastating in in a transition team in in an open game but like otherwise i think he i think his skill set just wouldn't translate as well yeah 
I mean, that's usually the case of like any time Real Madrid linked or signed a young, talented player. Like I remember when when we signed Vinicius and Rodrigo and you're looking at all the film and looking at all, everything, doing the scouting reports and you look at even going back to watching those games of Vinicius and Rodrigo, they're like, it's crazy how much space they had in Brazil. It's insane. Yeah. And then uh, you just know that they're going to have to adjust and play, you know, adjust their game into to being a little bit more comfortable in tight spaces, being able to reinvent themselves so that they're not just kind of sprinting down the, the wing every chance they get. Um, so I want to just come, quickly come back to the big picture Euro stuff. Uh, <clears throat> I feel like I, I, I support Spain and I would want Spain to beat Italy. Having said that, I feel like Italy would have the better chance against England in the final than Spain would. So for that reason, like I don't, I feel like some this England team would give Spain some problems, um, but I feel like Italy would be able to just kind of go toe to toe with them a little bit better. How do you guys feel about that? Hmm. I think yeah. I, it's hard to, because this England team is so conservative and um, they're all about managing transitions and taking advantage of set pieces and all those little details it's tough to think because if they're playing against Spain, you know that Spain's going to dominate the ball and it's going to be like 70, 30 possession. And it's whether or not Spain can find that urgency in their play and actually create clear cut opportunities or whether they're just circulating the ball to circulate the ball. And there's no like rhythm to, it and there's no incision. That's, that's where I, I get caught up because if Spain can create the chances, then I think they could pull it off. But then again, they haven't really been that clinical for a lot of this tournament. Um, and then England could just nick it off, off a couple, a couple set pieces or whatever it may be. And I feel like this England team is now starting to click. Uh, and you could argue the same about Spain, but I feel like, like Harry Kane now getting on the scoreboard, like, their set pieces coming off everything, the good vibes around the team and the England fans backing the team. Like, I feel like there's momentum there that maybe will push them over the line. They broke some kind of viewership record with that game against Ukraine. <clears throat> and, it's their uh, biggest knockout stage. It's their, I think it's their biggest knockout stage competition win ever. Yeah. Mm. Wow. So UEFA has got to be loving this coming home stuff because the ratings for the final are going to be through the roof. It's going to be, it's going to be incredibly like everyone's going to be watching. I have like a, my next door neighbor is British who doesn't watch football at all. And he, every time I ask about he's it, he's like, Oh, coming I, home. <laughs> yeah. And in like all of us, and he was watching the game yesterday. He's like this old man who like, you know, cares a little about this and he watches. So everyone's watching this uh, <laughs> final is going to be ratings. The ratings on the final are going to be incredible. Um, so you're not giving Denmark any chance, huh? I would no, but <laughs> no, but I hope our Patreon demographic isn't very Danish. <laughs> yeah. No, but my, I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that I'm incredibly wrong. I, I don't know. Actually, like Denmark's been pretty good. I don't know. Maybe what? Maybe I shouldn't be so dismissive of them. There's nothing, you know. They could, they could nick it. It's possible. Yeah. Given that yeah, England, could. the way they do play, like this Ukraine game will have skewed a little bit because Ukraine was terrible. They really were. I'm sorry. Like defensively, they were bad. They weren't marking anyone. They were, there was, this was a bloodbath. It should have, it could have been worse than 4 0. But not to take credit away from England, but the more traditional England that we've seen in this tournament so far hasn't been as good as the Ukraine game. So, and Denmark, yeah. I think, I, I, um, 
as being a misfortunate Irish supporter, I have had the pleasure of watching Denmark play more often than I probably would have expected to. And I can tell you that they're actually in some ways a very good match because when Denmark want to be, they can be quite a stubborn team. Uh, Ireland and Denmark have forged a little bit of a rivalry because we are the two sides are kind of throwing back and forth at who plays the worst football in qualifying. <laughs> Uh, so far we're winning but um, yeah Denmark as I said they can they've obviously shown a, an attacking streak in this tournament but I mean defensively there were games against Ireland where these the two sides were really slogging it out in that area and uh, like I said Denmark has that capability to be very stubborn and I think in maybe in comparison to other the, the kind of teams England have played so far they were a little bit more malleable I mean if I know they've they went through Germany, but I mean, I think the German side, I don't think the German side we saw in this Euros was necessarily the team that we've come to expect over the last couple of years. And I think, well, for myself anyways, that Germany's result wasn't much of a surprise. I didn't really see them having the form to beat them despite what they did to Portugal. So yeah, I think Denmark, England is a very good match. Personally, I actually would not mind see England win it. And I'm probably, I hope this goes up on Patreon rather than public because I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for saying that. <laughs> but I think, I mean, the fans don't really appeal to me, but the players in terms of not just on the pitch, but off the pitch, I like the idea of what they could do with a platform a European championship would give them in the country. I feel like if they don't win it this year, I actually feel good about their chances in the future. Like I, this mm. is not one of those situations where it's like, if you don't win it now, you'll never win it. Um, I've seen that. I've seen that narrative before uh, on Twitter because people are saying like, well, look at your path to the final. You have to go through Ukraine and Denmark. And you know, this is no excuse. If you're not going to win it now, you'll never win it. I actually don't feel that way. I actually feel like if you, like if this tournament was held in Euro 2020, this would have been, that would have been worse for them. I think the extra yeah. year, like some teams benefited, some teams did not benefit from being pushed one more year. I feel like the fact that they got to push one more year benefits them in a little way, although in other ways not, because the reason I think it benefited them is because we we can't, like Mason Mount is just a better player now than he was in 2020. Like there are there are players like that, but the problem Odin, is gets not really using them. They have a yeah, lot of good, uh, yeah like all it. those guys, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like they're they're kind of the beneficiaries of that. Of this being yeah. pushed a little bit. And, and they have a ton of talent. Ton yeah. of talent. It's pretty stacked. All right. So um, in the last few weeks, this which was, it was birthed by Gareth Bale, who talked about aliens. <laughs> um, he gave us a ton of talking points for the next couple of weeks on the podcast, where I asked everyone on the podcast, I think the one guy we just didn't get a chance to talk to was Om. And I forgot to ask him when I recorded a podcast with him last week. I totally on me. Uh, but we asked everyone on staff about what their thoughts on aliens were. Are they real? Are they here? Are they not? Et cetera. So the next question, I put out a feeler to our patrons on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And I said, what's the next like question we should ask everyone that's completely random and not football related? And we got a lot of great responses, some terrible responses. I'll be really honest. Some people like use that opportunity to like ask about Mbappé and transfers <laughs> as the next big question. Um, so the next question is, I thought this one was interesting. Do we live in a simulation? You know, I, I freaked out my manager by talking about this because I, I suggested, I often, um, okay, how am I going to explain this without sounding crazy? Um, 
basically your i mean dream you know with dreams and stuff like that that you can your brain can think up realities for you and that for most i would say about 70 or 80 percent of us that most of our perception of reality is coming visually so potentially this whole world could be a kind of a, a simulation created by your own mind like a dream or a very advanced dream and uh yeah that my man just stopped talking to me for the rest of the evening after i told him it's going deep chris going deep <laughs> i think about this stuff um <laughs> so you so what you mean is that this like, is why this is why i can this is why i end up sitting like 20 minutes in the shower rather than 10 minutes <laughs> you sit in the shower yeah. <laughs> well when you have these sort of thoughts you do end up sitting rather you just than sit down and let let, let it happen yeah. all right so yeah. uh so what you're saying is basically like if if, if the world is going through your eyes that's just yeah. basically it's being telecasted I think, through I, your I, eyes yeah, but nothing I mean, else so like we're not real but we're just a projection of what you're seeing, basically. Yeah, well, I mean, your brain has an... I mean, we often talk about sample size in football. You're, in terms of your perception of reality, your perception of self, there isn't a huge amount of sample size you can take apart from internal things. You can't see yourself. You can't touch... You can't, well, in a kind of third-person sense, can't touch yourself. You can only touch your legs and your arms with your own hands and stuff. So, like I said, there isn't a huge amount of... There's not a lot of kind of... Um, evidence about your own kind of sturdy reality outside of what you perceive yourself let me ask you something if that were to be true if everything was just like your own projection and nothing else was real um was you life if you knew that for a fact to be true would you live would you live your life differently uh would you start to experiment more would you be like well if this isn't real this is all just my own thing Okay. Well, outside of, outside of our outside of our friend COVID, I probably would. I'd be doing more. Yeah, probably. Okay. I, hopefully, now in the next twelve months, I can go through life thinking like that. That this is all a perception of my mind. Matt, where are you on this? <laughs> Matt froze. The simulation froze. This Matt's is all Chris's. Uh, oh, he's back. Oh, there we go. All right. All right. So what's, what are, what's, where are you on this? Um, so I, I'd be open to like, um, believing that, like I'm open to believing this stuff and like having a, um, an open perspective to it. I right now, like, do I believe it? Like heart and soul right now? No, like, I don't think it, we're all living in a, in a simulation, uh, or like that. It's like, you're living in a like whatever we were talking about interstellar off off air like just certain different time like your life is going by in different time zones like at every moment i don't know if i don't i don't believe that either but i'm i'm open to it like if someone can prove it i'm open to it um and like i don't i kind of i'm not one of those people that just like discredits these theories right away like as soon as you hear it i'm just like no no that's not that's not real um but yeah, I don't know. I I think it's it's funny if it is if it, let's say it is a simulation. We're we're obviously all in the wrong simulation because we're yeah, I was saying that myself. It's a very straight. I'd like to meet the person who decided this would be my simulation. Well, we're we're in the simulation as Real Madrid fans, where Mbappe never hasn't gone to Real Madrid. Yeah. He went to PSG. So, 
in like another universe, another simulations, Mbappe is like just like a Twitter troll. It's not even he's not yeah. even. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what this one's interesting because and, and i've seen the simulation thing kind of gain traction in the scientific community like i mean it's which is and didn't you say and i didn't know that but i think you said off air that uh elon musk is talks about that elon musk what does he say about yeah. it um i think he says that advancing technology and stuff like that um and i think a lot of it has to do with like the maths of chance would say that we uh, are more likely to be living in a simulation than to be living in a into in a actual reality and i suppose anything the only thing that we can grasp onto in that is as matt pointed out it's a strange it's a very strange simulation if it is indeed a simulation that we picked for ourselves um yeah well no i could i could definitely see it but <laughs> Again, well, straight. It's a very strange one to choose. I probably would have gone if I get the opportunity to do it again. I'll probably choose different simulation, <laughs> different simulation next time. Right. Uh, so the, I found the Musk quote, and he says um, the odds that we're not simulated are one in a billion, one in billions rather. Um, so he he huh. feels like a pretty a weird way that, to put it. That's yeah. a massive percentage of of yeah. us not being simulated. Um, the thing was like with science, science by nature is falsifiable. So you can't falsify this one. You can't prove that it's not a simulation. So it's one of those things that um, you're, you either believe in or you don't. I, it's interesting to me, though, because simulation to me is just another word. Like when, when you said, I'd like to meet this, the creator of the simulation, what you're essentially saying is that you'd like to meet God. Because if you think about it, if we're in a simulation who created the simulation it's it's god right whether you whether god is um the you know the uh the perception of god that is depicted in in the in the major religions of you know this entity that created all and he sends down messengers and stuff whether you believe in that or in this definition god would be the creator of the simulation it would be it could be a group of just like people around a table who are just like all right earth is going to look like this. And then there's the big bang and we're going to create that. And then you make these suckers think that, you know, this big bang thing happened or whatever it means, whatever it is. <laughs> so, yeah. So there's right? basically at the end, instead of an afterlife, when you, when you die, you just wake up in another world and there's like a group of scientists all in white coats saying, we got you. <laughs> you thought that right. was real. Right. But either way, it's God. April it's Fools. just another way to describe <laughs> God because whether it's a team of scientists putting in our simulation, yeah. this in this definition of God, God would be the team of scientists. It's like yeah. a non-spiritual religion. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. I feel like God, this is that I, I can I can tell that this is totally out of <laughs> yeah, Matt's like God. comfort zone to talk about this yeah. stuff. No, it's no, like, no. I'm I fine. came here for the football pod. This is not <laughs> like, and then I go to work. I talk about business with my work colleagues. And then I come home to my wife, and we have yeah. a nice dinner. We don't talk about this shit, guys. This is this is useless. No, 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 no. You no. I, I'm totally yeah. good with come it. for the transfer right, rumors. Cool. Stay for the shower talks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so super excited to ask Sam and Om and uh, everyone else about this. Uh, listeners, thank you for listening. If you've <laughs> Sam come... doesn't need all this input on existential talk and that. He's too busy eating steaks. I think that's exactly why he does need it. Yeah, um, maybe. <laughs> as always, the rule is if you've made it this far into the podcast. Soon, right? 
as always, the rule yeah. is if you've made it this far into the podcast, that means you love us. And if you love us, it means that you should become a patron. That's the rule. It's not, you haven't come this far listening to this stuff if you don't like it. So uh, come over to patreon.com slash We are doing a ton of coverage um, and we'd love to have you there. And we will see you guys there on Tuesday and Thursday. And that's exclusively on patreon.com slash So thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Matt. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday and... See you too, see you too, take care.